Hey everybody, welcome back to the Elon Musk podcast. This is a show where we discuss the critical crossroads that shape SpaceX, Tesla, X, The Boring Company, and Neuralink. And I'm your host, Will Walden. All right, got my drink. Everything's good. Hey everybody, welcome. Welcome back. We have some weird news, not really unexpected though. Today, we have some news about the Artemis program being having a little bit of a delay. Sorry, I got to move my camera down a little bit so you can get a better view. But the Artemis program, when it started, the timelines were ridiculous. I don't know if, if you think about it, to get all this stuff done in such a short amount of time is really, I would say, more than expected that there's a delay, but it was ridiculous that they thought they were going to be able to make a <laughs> make a giant rocket. The SLS works pretty good. We see we saw that Artemis one SLS works pretty good. Artemis two, they're going to send people around the moon and back. But they also these are all new systems, except for the the engines from the space shuttle from the shuttle era. So. Everything else. Pretty new stuff. So they had a few years to build this stuff, a couple of years to build it. And they want to. They want to delay it a little bit, which I understand because the HLS Starship hasn't even flown to orbit and made it all the way around yet. The first two test flights blew up mid-flight. Big Starship fan, but that's just what happened. It's an extremely experimental spacecraft right now. They've been working on it forever. So we know that the Starship is in a phase where it might make it on launch number three to orbit and also make it all the way around to the coast of Hawaii, which would be insanely cool. Very cool. But what's the, what's the timeline on that? We don't exactly know. We don't exactly know. Elon and SpaceX don't even know. They don't know when it's going to make it around. I wish more people would be more, uh, logical about things like this because as much as i love spacex and i want starship to succeed it's a, and this isn't just about starship this is also a boeing but I, the things that we can see are starship and it's not in the place where i could send people anywhere near the moon at this point don't even put anybody near the starship it's in a good spot starship's in a really good spot for the second flight they did fantastic Flight three will probably be way better than flight two and one, but they, you can't put people on that thing yet. And I know they're going to transfer them while they're in space, but you just can't do it. It's not safe yet. So it's going to take them a while for them to figure that out. It's going to take them a while to figure out some other delays that are happening. There's a Boeing delay that's happening. So Artemis two, it's going to probably be pushed back a year. Maybe they were talking months, but maybe a year, maybe two. There were some battery issues, batteries during vibration tests that have been leaked. Batteries will need to be replaced. So that's in the Orion capsule. So that's the crew capsule that people will be using to transfer to the starship so they can go to the surface of the moon. So the Artemis II mission, they can't use that system right now because it needs to be replaced. Those batteries need to be replaced. Could be months. For that replacement, but they have to go through rigorous testing of those batteries and rigorous testing of the Orion capsule when they put the batteries in, because it's not like they just put a battery, like when you put a battery in your car, if you've ever done that, you just unattach the positive and the negative, 
take out the old battery. Of course, your car's off when you do this. Put your new battery in, put those things back on, connect it back together. And then your car will probably start up the first time. And if not, you give it like a couple seconds, you start it up again and your car works fine. Everything's great. This is a moon capsule that has a hundred thousand parts in it. And this has to keep people alive off world going to the moon, replacing batteries. Super important. They have to do rigorous testing. Artemis three, which is planned for the first mission to land on the moon, which would be 2025 using starship, probably going to get pushed back because SpaceX is taking longer than expected to get some of those milestones hit. So we're going to, we're going to tune into NASA's broadcast here in a minute, but I want to make sure that we're covering a few things before we get into that, because kind of have to be ready. We have to be ready for this. Let me, I got to pull this up for you too. If you have any questions, let me know in the chat too. And also welcome everybody in the chat. NASA is going to be starting in about eight and a half minutes, eight and a half minutes for NASA. So yeah, let me know what you guys said. Game over, said David Redfern. No, they're just going to push it back a little bit. In the space flight, things are delayed all the time. A couple months to a year. Space flight is literally the hardest thing that people do. It's literally the hardest thing because people leave the earth. <laughs> like you got to be good at what you do. And you got to make sure that everyone is safe. If you think about it in that context, like you're going to literally leave the world, our earth, and go to space. You have to make these systems absolutely perfect. Nobody can be hurt. Nobody, nothing can be damaged. Anything that goes wrong during these flights, it's absolutely, it absolutely has to go 100% perfectly. So these batteries from Boeing, too bad. I think they're two batteries. They're, they've been working on this for a while, but the Boeing capsule, the Orion capsule, these batteries, they need to be replaced. Could take months. NASA senior officials have been mulling plans to move the inaugural Artemis astronaut landing to the fourth mission too. So Artemis three was going to be when people board the starship for the first time. And then Artemis four. Now they may do another dummy mission with a test of all the systems without people in it. So I think that's, what's going to happen today. So this is my prediction is that they're going to push back Artemis two either months or a year to make sure that all the systems work properly. Artemis three will be a full dummy mission. Maybe people on board, more than likely people on board the Orion capsule, but the starship will do a dummy landing on the moon surface without people on it just to make sure it works and then put people in the Artemis four mission because they have to test the starship. And of course that is one of the milestones that starship and SpaceX has to hit is that they have to do a test mission for the starship to land on the moon in order for them to continue getting contracts for the HLS mission. So they already got the money, but they do have to hit these milestones in order for them to do this. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one here. Do they, do they use Duracell or bunny batteries, metal rules? I'm not sure what kind of batteries they have in there, but I'm pretty sure it's not Duracell or Energizer bunny batteries. So the Artemis program works with a bunch of companies to make sure that everything goes well when they're in space. Boeing, Northrop Grumman, SpaceX, Blue Origin as well, ULA. They're working with some of ULA launch systems for some of their missions too. So 
all of the things that need to go right need to absolutely go right. One link at a time, LLC says what batteries they had for the Moon River. Or sorry, when do you think the next Starship liftoff will be? I was hoping for middle of January, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be early February at the earliest. At the earliest, it's probably going to be mid February, maybe late because the stuff they're doing down there with just disassembling a lot of the water towers and things down there. It just, it's going to take a little while. Plus we never, we don't know what's happening with the booster at this point. They have, they've already done tests on the booster and on the ship, but they took the booster back to the high bay. So they're working on that now, but we don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they found with their data and we don't know how the engines worked or anything like that. So I'm guessing middle February, maybe March. I, it like, that's probably no earlier than February, mid February. Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin also making a lander. Could they swap out the starship for the Blue Origin lander? If Blue Origin shows that they can do this, SpaceX, if SpaceX just completely fails, if the starship just doesn't work and then Boeing and I'm oh, sorry, Blue Origin sends their lander to the moon. It's like a, haha, I gotcha. And they send their lander to the moon. SpaceX already got the contract, but if it's going to save people's lives because Starship just doesn't work, NASA will take on, because Blue Origin already has a contract with NASA for specific missions, but if SpaceX would postpone those first couple Artemis mission, first couple Artemis landing missions, then they, I don't know what they can do if there's like an, some sort of a agreement with them. I'm not sure what it is. I not off the top of my head. I'd have to look into it a little bit. One link at a time. LLC says smash the like button, everyone. Yeah. Could you please just do just hit the like button. Let's try to get up to 50 likes real quick. What batteries they had in the moon rover in 1970. Ooh, that's up. Those were all custom built batteries at that point. Those are all custom built for the moon. So they don't have like a, they don't have a brand name. They're not energizer bunny batteries or anything. NASA will be starting momentarily, so I'm going to set that up so we can have that. But yeah, please let me know in chat if you have any if you have any questions or concerns or anything like that about this mission. I want to know what you think about this mission. Do you think it's actually going to be worthwhile to do this mission? Let's see here. I got to get all this stuff set up. I have been... There we go. I've been setting this up for a little bit. The They just announced this teleconference a little bit ago. Yeah, we're getting this ready. But they have about two minutes before NASA goes live. So we'll watch it and we'll listen in. Blue Origin can't make a rocket, but can make a moon lander. We're not sure if they can make either yet. They've been working on the lander for a while. Been recorded. If you have any go. objection, you may disconnect at this time. The it's call will begin momentarily. This is the NASA call. So I'm, I'm we're tuning into that in the background, but I'll be here reacting as well. And they have some cool wait time music right now. Wish you guys could hear it, but it's probably copyright. So I can't play it. You probably heard like the first few things. It's like you dance like this to it, like an old guy. This is a serious topic, but we like to have fun here on the channel. So don't take yourself too seriously is what I'm saying. Enjoy yourself. Space flight isn't uh, something to get worked up about. 
We're not going to get angry. <laughs> I love angry astronaut, by the way. I love angry. I freaking love that guy. He's so funny. I, he's one of my buddies, too. So I love anybody in chat. Just shout out to angry astronaut, too. Fun guy. Good guy. Just like a nice dude. Yeah. <laughs> Stay angry. <laughs> he's so awesome. He's like a pro wrestling guy. Right. Like his persona is like a pro wrestling guy, but he's like a sweetheart in real life. Like a sweet guy. Did he ever move? He's working on it. He's working on it. Yeah. Angry astronauts, the best. Stay. <laughs> I do. An, I do a really bad impersonation of angry astronaut, but yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I love the guy. Stay angry about space. Yeah, he has that grumbly, like, pro wrestler thing going on. He's always mad at Boeing. <laughs> I love it. Check him out. Check out his YouTube channel. He's the best. I'm, like, laughing so hard because I'm thinking about it. It's amazing. Got a head to... <laughs> wow. Are we launching today? David, no, we're not. We're listening in on a media teleconference about NASA pushing back the Orion flights or the Artemis flight, sorry, with the Orion capsule. And I'm listening in on the suite. Oh yeah, this is, it's good music. I wish I could hear you guys, or wish I could let you guys hear this, but it's like seventies funk disco stuff, rock almost. Yeah. So Mars is a waste of resources. Metal rules. Wait, do you think that? Or were you trying to be, were you trying to quote the angry astronaut? Angry is the best. Let's face it. Boeing has been a joke when it comes to space and that capsule. I don't, I wouldn't say they're a joke. I would say it's very difficult. And I'm going to be devil's advocate for them right now because everything is super hard when you do space stuff because you're sending people off the planet absolutely incredibly hard and these things it's the most difficult engineering feats you could do so any delays anything like that like it's a weird thing to have a new capsule there's millions of parts in that thing and if anything goes wrong i think somebody in chat said if one if one thing can go right but a million things could go wrong yesterday in the chat so i can't remember who said that but they were completely right and like a million things could go wrong in that capsule and Boeing, as much as we like to see the downfall of companies and we all click on those videos on YouTube too. Don't tell me you don't like the downfall of whatever it is, whatever you're interested in the downfall of Tony Hawk or the downfall of whatever. It's like, all right, that's tempting. You might click on it every once in a while. And there's always that exaggerated history of those things, but Boeing is having a having a moment right now, unfortunately. So a lot of things are going wrong at Boeing. I really hope they do the best things that they can, you know, and make sure that this capsule works properly and these people get there safely. You think every ounce of resources removed from Earth and put on Mars is a waste? Oh, here we go. Inform all participants that your lines have been placed on a listen-only mode until the question and answer session of today's call. Today's call is being recorded. If anyone has any objections, you may disconnect at this time. I would now like to turn the call over to Faith Mackey. 
Thank you. You may begin. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us. I'm Faith Mackey with NASA's Office of Communications, and we'd like to thank you for joining this call to provide an update on the future of NASA's Artemis mission. In addition to NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, NASA participants today will include NASA Associate Administrator Jim Free, Kathy Kerner, our Associate Administrator for the Exploration System Development Mission Directorate at NASA, and Amit Shathriya, our Deputy Associate Administrator for the Moon to Mars Program in NASA's Exploration Systems Development Mission Director. After brief opening comments from each of our speakers, we will gladly take your questions. The question and answer portion of today's call will include representatives from our industry partners and the European Space Agency. A full list of our partners on the line is available on our NASA Artemis blog at blogs.nasa.gov Artemis. You can enter star one on your phone to be entered in the question queue at any time, and the operator will open your mic when we're ready for your question, then close it afterward. We ask that you please stick to one question and identify to whom your question is directed as we won't have time to give each industry partner time to provide a specific update. We also ask that you focus your questions specifically to today's update surrounding our future Artemis mission. Shortly after we conclude, you can listen to a replay of this teleconference online. And now I'll open the floor to Administrator Bill Nelson. Hey, everybody. It was a little over a year ago that all of us watched Artemis One as a test flight. And it was so successful that additional tests were added in the court. Uh, it went further than any human rated spacecraft. And it has that iconic picture that we've all seen where it's taking a selfie photograph of itself. And in the background, 40,000 miles away is the moon. And further in the background, 270 miles away is our planet. Many of the complex missions will return astronaut to the moon and eventually tomorrow all came out of what was this test flight. And so we've named the Artemis Chief Green and they are busy training for their mission around the moon that will test Orion system to support human life in deep space. And again, we go back to the moon in a different way. We go back to the moon this time to a different part of the moon. We also go back to the moon with commercial partners and with international partners. And by the way, we are down here in Houston and visited with the crew several times yesterday. They were telling me. They were invited to the Oval Office, were given 15 minutes to visit with the president and ended up visiting with him for an hour and a half. And I think it's illustrative of what's happening. I saw, for example, as we took the crew last night to the national championship day, and during one of the timeouts they were introduced, the place went nuts. Everybody is really excited. We're in a golden era of exploration. 
And this time, you don't go about the football guys to the meeting in order to be able to learn, to live, to create, and to invent. In order, eventually, we can go to more. And the science is going to help us unlock the secret of the formation of our solar system, including the secrets of our own planet. We're going to, in the process, back to the moon, we're going to develop new technologies. We're going to develop new propulsion to go to Mars. So how we go is just as important as what we do. And so this is, to put it in the president's term, this is a big deal. We've announced a new partnership with the UAE for Gateway, and that's a huge moment for the future of space exploration. And blue, blue, Artemis mission, we are showing the strength of the commercial partnership and American innovation. We are doing something incredibly different. In the process of all this, as we remind everybody every turn, safety is our priority. And to give Artemis more time to work through the challenges with first-time developments, operation, and integration, we're going to give more time on Artemis 2 and 3. So what I want to tell you is we are adjusting our schedule to target Artemis 2 for September of 2025 and September of 2026 for Artemis 3, which will send humans for the first time to the lunar south pole. Artemis 4 remains on track for September 2020. And though challenges are clearly, uh, our teams are making incredible progress, and you're going to hear about that shortly. Uh, Jim Flea has done an extraordinary job leading NASA's exploration systems development over the past two and a half years and standing up the Moon to Mars program. Jim, as is our associate director, associate administrator, having replaced Bob Cabana, who had promised us a year before he retired, and we got almost three and out of Bob, and he is doing his retirement ceremony this weekend. And so... Jim is going to hand the reins over to Kathy Kearney. And she and program manager Ahmed, they continue to make good progress. Think back to over 60 years ago when President Kennedy went about 20 miles from where we are to Rice Stadium, and he made that famous speech, we need to go to the and do other things, not because it's easy, but because it's for. And Artemis represents what we can accomplish as a country, as a global coalition, 
and what we can accomplish when we set our sights on what is hard and what has never been done before. Jim, over to you. Thank you very much, sir. These early Artemis missions are what we refer to in our Moon to Mars architecture as our human lunar return segment. We're demonstrating the foundational systems, things like Orion and SLS, um, that we need to support the human missions on the surface and in lunar orbit. And as the administrator referenced, these programs reflect our different approach we are taking to extend human presence to the moon and Mars than what we did previously in Apollo. The moon may not be different, but our knowledge of the moon and advancements in technology, industry capabilities have changed our approach to exploration, which you can see reflected in all of these programs. I'm going to let Ahmed talk more about the progress and challenges with the schedule leading up to Artemis 2 and 3, but I want to emphasize that safety is our number one priority. You've heard it from the administrator today. You've heard it multiple times. And as we prepare to send our friends and colleagues on this mission, we're committed to launching safely as possible, and we will launch when we're ready. We learned a great deal during Artemis 1 and continue to learn today through the production of Artemis 2, 3, 4, and all the hardware we have in flow. And we plan to put those lessons back into our future mission. And that's what flight tests are all about. As you heard leading up to Artemis 1, as we'll talk about for Artemis 2 and future missions, these are flight tests. Developing, testing, and learning and improving our knowledge is what we're doing and ensuring that when we do fly, it'd be successful. Establishing the Moon to Mars program office that Amit leads has enabled us to improve our integrated approach across all the programs. And a great deal of credit goes to Ahmed and his team for that work. You heard the administrator talk about our crew. They are incredible. And they've been busy learning about the systems and subsystems they'll be flying. And they and other astronauts across the crew office can continue to monitor the design, production, and assembly of all the hardware, giving inv invaluable input from the operator perspective. That Artemis II crew will be the first people to set human eyes on the far side of the moon in more than a century. And I can't imagine all the pictures and recordings that they'll bring back to capture those moments, but also inform our understanding of the moon. The crew is a constant reminder for us of how important it is to remain focused on the work we need to do to ensure their safe return. This is a team effort, an international effort that involves our government our international partners, our industrial partners, collaborating to achieve new milestones in human lunar exploration, things that have never been accomplished before and that require us all working together. That's why we have our partners on the line with us today. We are facing challenges, both technical and just dealing with going back to the moon, but the Artemis team is solving that. And let me remind you that what we're talking about for these early Artemis missions includes the initial human landing system capability, the crew demonstration of the Starship human lander, the initial gateway capability, which includes the integrated power and propulsion element, along with our habitation and logistics output post that we call HALO. 
and the more powerful block 1B configuration for SLS that can launch crew to the moon in Orion along with cargo in a single launch. And for Artemis 3, we must be realistic there as well. We're looking at our the need for propellant transfer, the need for numerous landings. We're looking at our spacesuits that we're acquiring in a different manner that we've done before and developing the new spacesuit system. Soon we'll add pressurized rover from a service perspective too. All of those alone are an incredibly large challenge and a really big deal. And I know that Kathy Amit, our program managers, will continue to do everything in their power to work closely with our partners, keep all of these on track. So we need all parts of our team focused on performing as efficiently as possible into the highest standards. And as I and others have said, and will continue to say, they launch when we're ready. So let me turn it over to Amit to share some more of the challenges that we faced and how we're tracking those down. Okay, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Senator, and thanks to both of you for your leadership. I have a lot to go through, so I'm going to try. First thing I want to say is a huge thanks to all of our stakeholders and all of our industry partners, international partners that have contributed to the formulation of the Moon to Mars program office. The integration efforts that have been put in place by all of them have been tremendous. We really are one team, and I think you'll see that in the responses and also as we go forward. We're one team solving these problems together. Uh, we have a really complex flight test campaign that makes up these early missions as Jim and Senator speak clearly. And it's worth to me to say over and over again, our number one priority is safety. Our number two priority is to make sure we're making comprehensive methodical progress towards our objective. And our number three priority is to learn from the data we get from our flight test. And I think you'll see that as we're going through, we're, we are making that learning impacted the way we So for Artemis 2, so again, the primary, there's a lot, there are new capability that's being on ramp for the mission. We have new facilities at KSD to enable rapid turnaround for propellant loading, also for the loading of the crew, for the egress of the crew. For the launch vehicle, we have a new abort system that will be activated in an integrated way across the stack. And of course, for the spacecraft, we have a new life support system and its ability to respond to those aborts. And those are all added there, of course, to support the crew and of course to, to support crew safety. We haven't covered, we have, a, we have two major sources of learning that, have, that are informing the way we're developing the Artemis II mission. The first, of course, is from the tremendous amount of data, the engineering data we got from the Artemis I test flight. And the second is from the production, both the components and the assembly level production that's coming in for the subsequent missions for Artemis II and three and beyond. We have hardware inflow coming in for all of those missions. We're not doing these serially. We're doing a concurrent development for a lot of this work. And so from the test flight in particular, we had two, I would say one major finding that we need a little bit more time to work. And that is the performance of the thermal protection system on the spacecraft, on the heat shield. We have an, ex so the heat shield itself, the Orion, the performance specification that we levied on that, on the vehicle and on that system was met with, met with extreme precision. We had a large factor of safety at the bottom line of the spacecraft and our, the entry guidance performed almost perfectly. We were able to put the vehicle right on top of our partners in the Navy who were able to recover the vehicle very crisply. But what we did see in the performance of the heat shield itself was some unexpected phenomena that we need to make sure we understand 
perfectly. The lessons of our history is that even though we believe we understand and that our hardware is performing according to requirements, we have to be absolutely certain that we understand the integrated performance of that system when there are excursions from that performance. What we saw on the heat shield was, again, like I said, very good performance from a thermal protection standpoint. We did see the the off-nominal recession of some char that came off the heat shield, which we were not expecting. Now, this heat shield is an ablated material. It is supposed to char, but what it's not, what we were not expecting were some pieces of that char to be liberated from the vehicle. And so we need to make sure we understand the transport and the retransport phenomena that caused that. We have spent the bulk of 2023 investigating that in facilities across the agency, as well as with help from the the root cause of that issue. And it's going very from our partners as well as our partners across the government. We have taken on a methodical detail campaign to understand this issue, extensive core sampling, testing, and data review. And that is all of that review is, again, as I said, going quite well. We have to synthesize that data and update the overall thermal, mechanical, and material model of that heat shield to make sure that before we attempt re-entry from a circumlunar return mission, like we'll have from Artemis 2, that we're 100% confident that we understand the performance of that heat shield under those conditions. We've been able to replicate the physics and we expect to, definitive, to definitively identify the root cause of this recession of the char material, hopefully here in the spring. So they mentioned that that was a large source of learning from Artemis 1. We've also learned quite a bit from the acceptance of hardware coming into the flow from subsequent mission we're planning for. One of, one of the major ones has to do with the life support system. During the acceptance of some components for Artemis 3, we noticed the failure in some motor valve circuitry that's driving valves on the spacecraft itself. This is a common set of circuits that after investigation, this, these components passed acceptance testing for Artemis 2, but did not pass them for Artemis 3. And so that gave us pause to stop and look at that circuit in a more detailed way. When we examined it, we recognized that there was a design flaw in that circuit. Those, those valve electronics of many parts of the life support system on the spacecraft, in particular, are built in, in particular, the CO2 scrubbing system. And so once, once we recognized that the design flaw and we, once we looked at rationale for potentially using the system as it is, it became very clear to us that it was unacceptable to accept that hardware, and we have to replace it in order to guarantee the safety of the crew. The way to replace that hardware, given the current configuration of the spacecraft, we're going to have to, it, it is the access to the that components, the access to those bays is going to take us quite a bit of, quite a bit of time to get to. Every connector that we touch as part of that, part of that replacement operation will have to be tested after we're done, and we'll have to put the vehicle through full-up functional testing afterwards. And we're committed to doing that. We know how to fix it. We just need to make sure we take the time to do it according to the workmanship standards that we expect for a human ready. Uh, second major finding we have, as I mentioned before, we have for the first time on this spacecraft, we're applying an integrated abort capability. The SLS is a extremely powerful machine and the Orion is ready to fly in deep space. And when you design a capability to from the spacecraft, from the launch vehicle, in the event of a loss of control, that environment during separation is quite severe. We've qualified the entire Orion to survive during those environments. We have, however, as part of that qualification campaign, found a few 
cases where we believe there could be some deficiencies in the performance of the electrical system, in particular, some of the batteries that we need to make sure we understand how they're enduring those environments. So we're still very early in that investigation. We've not yet developed a forward path. We have multiple parallel options to fix this issue. We also have a lot of options to determine whether or not we believe those environments are accurate. And so we have a lot of testing to do in front of us, but we wanted to make sure we give ourselves the time to do that. And as, as we mentioned before, yeah. continuing our analysis, crew safety. Subject. So those are the major drivers, as I said, for the Artemis II delay with all, every single one of them has to do is either a derivative of a capability that was added for safety or a mandatory fix to make sure that the vehicle is as safe as possible for our crew. So what I will say, though, is we are making tremendous progress. The gym and the administrator have already mentioned the crew is deep into training. Every component of the mission that needs to be at Kennedy, with the exception of the core stage, which is at Mathieu, is already at C. The core stage is actually at a point of maturity that was much further along than when we shipped it for Artemis 1. We are going to hold it there at Mathieu to ship it in, to be ready for this mission. But there's a lot of work that we can do at Mathieu that's a little bit easier to do there than in the transfer aisle Kennedy. But we have the booster segments ready to stack, the upper stage ready, and we're finishing the validation of the mobile launcher and the rest of the capability. So I'm gonna move on. The other, the last thing I'll say about Artemis II is that it, even though it's, we're, we're really, we wanna fly, and we wanna fly as safely as we can, with the delay, we're gonna take advantage of some additional capability and incorporation of lessons learned from Artemis One, including the ability to potentially access the vehicle at the pad during during the launch campaign and during potential weather events. So I'll move on to Artemis 3. For Artemis 3, we're adding several capabilities. Of course, it's been mentioned by Jim, we're adding a human landing system with a very complex propellant transfer scheme and earth departure scheme. We're also adding advanced spacesuits. Each one of these spacesuits is an individual spacecraft for the crew. And we're adding a docking system to Orion and new choreography amongst our launch teams for a dual launch campaign required to make sure that both Orion and the lander can get to the same point in space and to proceed with the lunar landing. So the coordination and the choreography of those ground assets, as well as in space and other communication assets, is a significant coordination challenge. And we're doing everything we can to add and to add capability to make sure that's successful. There's extensive integration going on across those systems. One of not not one of these elements. We have all the transportation elements we've been developing, but but with the suits and with the lander, that's a huge what conglomeration of different development activities that have to meet together and not any single one of them is more important than the other. We need them all to be ready and all to be successful in order for that very complicated mission to, to come together. So the new schedule for Artemis 3 aligns with the updated schedule for Artemis 2. It ensures that we can incorporate lessons learned from Artemis 2 into the next, into that mission and also acknowledges the very real development challenges that have been experienced by our industry partners. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have an integrated flight test approach to this capability. So as we add each new mission, it increases complexity. We have to add tests for new systems. And this new schedule will give us the opportunity for our partners to, to have that additional time and make the refinements to make sure we're as successful as possible. Um, see, see, the fall of 2026, the September 2026 timeframe, we, we, is still very aggressive. And we all, but we all need to pace our work with the same degree of urgency. And I think it's very important that and our industry partners are 100% committed to this approach. In fact, not only are they committed, but they, it also is worth pointing out that some of the issues we found with Artemis, with the Artemis II 
components on the Orion would not have been found had we not pushed our partners to deliver the hardware for Artemis 3 and 4 as we proceeded towards flight. And so all of that production is teaching us as we go. So, in, but for Artemis 3, even though that fall of 2026 timeframe is aggressive, we, our European partners are going to ship their service module in three months. We have the upper stage for the SLS already delivered. The RS-25 segments, the RS-25 engines have already been delivered. We have the booster segments already ready to go. And so we have all of this work coming together. In addition, the tremendous amount of tests that's going on at Boca Chica with SpaceX and with here in Houston with Axiom. So I'll move on quickly to talk about Artemis 4 and 5. For 4, we have several new developments. As Jim mentioned, it'll be our first new mission to Gateway. We know we have to launch the integrated power and propulsion element and the halo. This is the core of Gateway. It will take about 12 months for that PPE halo stack to, to on a long spiral trajectory, head out to the NRHO orbit where we will meet him with the crewed flight as planned in September of 2028. We, we, we had previously planned to launch the PPE and halo in October of 2025. We're now working with our industry partners at Maxar and North of Grumman to review the schedule for when it makes sense. The launch step before Artemis 4, we believe they have a great path to get us there to support that mission, but we are, we will be updating that schedule here as well. So we, again, we're doing what we can to make sure our partners have the time to do the development correctly and safely. Jim also mentioned that Artemis 4 will incorporate configuration of the Block 1B, well, how the SLS with the event with the exploration upper stage, carrying the first gateway module as a co-manifested payload, the incredible I have from ESA. And Artemis 4 will also be the first mission to host logistics delivery. We have given authority proceed from our partners at SpaceX to develop a logistics capability to deliver cargo to the Gateway Space Station. I'll finally wrap up with Artemis 5, which to me is the end of our, what I consider our responsibility as a test program. We are bringing on a brand new landing system provider. Blue Origin has been a tremendous early partner with us. We intend to announce a provider for lunar terrain vehicle services in the coming months. We'll have new gateway components as a logistics delivery. The administrator pointed out the exciting news of having that of our new partners in the United Arab Emirates that are going to provide an airlock for the core components of gateway, which after that Artemis 5 and 6 timeframe will complete the core of the gateway space station. And also finally, in the last few months, we've been asked, we've asked both of our human landing system providers SpaceX and Blue Origin to begin applying the work they're doing on the human-rated versions of the landing vehicles to develop a cargo variant that can land large cargo on the surface, which is a tremendous change and from the way we've done lunar exploration in the past. As you can see, we have a lot of hardware and flow. I'll save more time for questions here as we go because I've covered a lot of ground here. But this is a long-term exploration campaign. And what that means is that we have, we're working on all these missions essentially simultaneously. We need flexibility in our manifest. We need resilience in our manifest. And that is the commitment we have from all of our NASA programs and all of our industry partners. We have, it is essential that we make progress on every element of the campaign in order to deliver on the success of these goals. It's also essential that we're prudent in the way we're planning for when these, if these developments maybe have more issues so that we're ready to respond in a flexible way to make methodical progress towards our goals. So I think that's enough for me at this point. I would like to hand over to my new boss, Kathy Kerner, to talk to, to finish this up here. Thank you, Amit, Jim, and Senator. I want to start by thanking Jim Free for his dedication and effort in standing up the Exploration Systems Mission Directorate and the Moon and Mars Program Office. I'm honored to step into this new role and lead our exploration team. Crew safety is and will remain our number one priority. 
I want to thank Amit's Moon to Mars team for the detailed work that they're doing on each of these issues and managing the integrated risk schedule across the six Artemis programs. As Amit noted, Artemis is a long-term exploration campaign using astronauts to conduct science at the moon and prepare for human missions to Mars. It's important that we develop and fly our foundational system so that we can safely carry out these missions. Moon and Mars program teams work to identify the flight test objectives that we must demonstrate on the early Artemis missions tied directly to the agency's Moon to Mars objectives and exploration approach. It is the next level of detail in implementing our Moon to Mars architecture and will provide strategic guidance for tough de decisions. Our resilient mission manifest is essential for something as complex as developing the systems and technologies for long-term exploration of the moon in a manner that prioritizes scientific discovery and benefits for humanity. While Ahmed and his team work on the implementation approach, our broader architecture development work also continued. This last November, we completed our second architecture concept review where we sat down with the stakeholders across NASA to review our Moon to Mars exploration plan. This most recent review focused on identifying the foundational decisions needed for a crewed mission to Mars and adding more detail to how we break down our objectives into architectural elements for long-term lunar exploration. In the coming weeks, we will publish updated materials from this last architecture concept review, which includes updates to the agency's architecture definition document and white papers highlighting critical results from the most recent strategic analysis cycle. The architecture definition document presents the current state of NASA's human spaceflight architecture and exploration strategy and breaks down the Moon to Mars objectives into functions and use cases that can be implemented through architectural elements. It includes current partnerships, identifies gaps, and presents opportunities for future collaboration. As our administrator mentioned earlier, this past Sunday, we announced a new partnership with the United Arab Emirates on the airlock for Gateway. I look forward to the future partners that will one day join us, and I'm very grateful for our existing partners, European Space Agency, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, and the Canadian Space Agency. I'm also grateful for our industry partners that have agreed to be on the call today. Whether we're partnering with other space agencies or contracting with industry and academia, we have shared exploration goals and shared responsibilities. The ambitions of long-term exploration of the moon and Mars are bigger than any one country, space agency, or company than when we go together for the benefit of all humanity. Artemis is different from anything humanity has embarked on before. We will discover groundbreaking science and technology as we learn to live and work and explore in a collaborative and sustained manner. I look forward to working with Amit and the team, including our academic and industry and international partners, as we collectively strive to uphold our commitments and prioritize safety in exploration. Ultimately, what we build, test, and discover at the moon will determine the human capacity to explore deep space for longer periods of time, setting NASA with our partners on a steady path for our next giant leap, sending the first astronaut to Mars. I'd like to thank our NASA leadership for their update. We will now begin the question and answer portion of today's poll. I want to please remind you to stick to one question and identify to whom your question is directed. And if we have time, we'll allow reporters to ask a second question. Again, you can enter star one on your phone to be entered in the queue at any time, and you can enter star two if you'd like to be removed from the queue. And one final reminder to focus your questions specifically to today's update surrounding future Artemis missions. 
So I think we have in our queue, uh, our first question will come from Martha Dunn from the Associated Yes, hi, probably for Mr. Pree. With the extra time now, are there any thoughts of sending the Artemis II crew into lunar orbit, a la Apollo 8 versus just to fly around? And what's the chance of shoehorning another mission in between Artemis II and three if the landing systems are not ready? Thank you. No, the Artemis II mission profile is going to remain the same. We've set that in place for a variety of reasons. We want that 24-hour orbit around Earth to make sure we can check out the vehicle. We want that path to, to the moon to be captured by gravity and come back so we build resiliency into the system and have some redundancy there to bring the crew back safely. And no, no thoughts to changing Artemis two and three is, as we've all said, we're going to learn from these missions. We're going to learn from what happens on Artemis two. We're planning for Artemis three to be that landed mission. But as we say, we're going to take every bit of safety and we'll, we'll learn from our, the hardware that's developed and as it's flown and decide from there, any changes for the overall part program. But as you heard today, Artemis 3 is still landed mission in September of 20. Thank you. I will take the next question from Micah Maidenberg of the Wall Street Journal. Hi. Independent of the issues that you discussed about the Artemis 2 delay, could you give, again, a couple of specific example, examples about the new timeline for Artemis 3? If you hadn't found the big drivers related to Artemis 2, which would Artemis 3 still need to be pushed back and why? Uh, thanks. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the answer is yes. We need more time on the landing system development and on the suit development to do that. They're making tremendous progress at Boca Chica with, the, with their test flights, but it's extremely challenging to some of the propeller transfer and other goals that they have in order to make that Earth departure sequence work for us. Yeah, I would say that even if we could fly Artemis 2 on the time frame that we, uh, we had planned originally, we would still need the extra time to fly Artemis 3 in September 26. All right. Thank you. I'm going to move on to Gina from ABC News for our next question. I think this is for John, but... At what point in the mission did the heat field material separate? How much was it? I think we're going to have uh, Amit lead on that question, and then we can have John give some. Yeah, it's interesting. We, the, the other new part about the way we did return on this vehicle was we did what we call a skip reentry. And so the majority of the liberation of the material, and when I talk about it, it makes it sound like there's big chunks coming off the vehicle. That's not correct. It was some liberation of char material that in general, we were, we were not expecting hardly any. We did get some, and a majority of that occurred after we pulled up from the first phase of that skip reentry. We're still piecing together that overall timeline. Of course, it's very tough based on the assets we had to identify each and every one, but we did what we went frame by frame through every piece of video that we had from Orion and from our external assets to determine when the initiation of that. Our liberation began, and most of it was after we started climbing out of. All right, thank you. Going to move on to Bill Harwood from CBS News. Yeah, thank you very much. Can someone address for us how many refueling flights you guys think is going to be required to get HLS from Leo to the moon? Well, there's been everything said from people on the hill from. Flights in the teens 
to just sort yeah. I don't really understand why. I realize it's variable. You're in the process of planning all this and the numbers may change. But can someone please ballpark this for us? Give us a better idea of just how challenging it is uh, to, to work all this out. Thanks. Yes, sure, Bill. It's a great, it's a great question. I'd like Jessica Jensen from SpaceX to, to take that. She's been involved heavily in the development. What I would say is just to start with that, that they have been, SpaceX has been extremely transparent with us. We've been sharing a, a lot of data with them about our own challenges in terms of cryogenic refueling. And so much of this is just going to have to come from flight tests. And I think the re probably the reason why you're hearing different numbers is because we have a lot of different modeling and analysis iterations that are going on to do that. But the rubber is going to meet the road when we actually try and do this in orbit. But I'd like to, I'll hand over to Jessica to see if she's got anything else to add. Yeah, thanks, Mamet. So first of all, SpaceX is super excited and really honored to be a part of the Artemis Three program, working with NASA, Lockheed, and all the partners to return U.S. return astronauts back to the moon. It's just truly incredible. And Prop Triester is going to be a big part of it. I think one of the things I want to clarify is the pellet transfer in orbit. It sounds complex and scary, and it seems like this kind of big nebulous thing. But when you really break it down into the various pieces, we've actually achieved almost all of the complex parts already on our operational program now. And it's just going to be piecing them together for Starship. For example, we've docked, we've birthed or docked drive-in the International Space Station more than 30 times. So everything we've learned, the sensors we use, the algorithms we use for state rendezvous or pulling back, all of that, we're going to leverage all of that in having two starships docked together. Another big thing that I think can seem very intimidating is launching missions in close proximity to each other to be able to achieve rapid refueling. And on South Kid 9, we're able to launch missions within a few hours of each other. Pad turnaround very short. We can even launch off the same pads within a few days of each other. So again, we're going to leverage those capabilities that we've learned onto Starship. And the last bit is a cryogenic propellant transfer part of it. So again, that is where we're working ground tests right now. And a lot of what we do for cryogenic propellant transfer on the ground, translating that to what we do up in space. And what's so great about this is because we'll be doing it through a flight test perspective, we'll learn on the flight first flight test how much propellant is actually transferred versus what we predict. We can make changes that on the ground to the next flight and iterate, and that will actually wind up determining how many missions we need. But even if it's an expensive amount of missions, we have all the capabilities and have already proven them through other vehicles that we will be able to do what Artemis 3 needs. Just because this is building out, but the question was, how many fuel transfers? Hey, Bill. Yes. So I will say it will roughly be 10-ish. That would be my rough guess right now, but it could be lower depending on how well the first flight tests go, or it could be a little bit higher. All right. Thank you, Jessica. I'm going to move on to Joey Roulette from Reuters for our next question. Hey, thanks. I wanted to follow up on Marsha's question from earlier for Jim. What would it take for NASA to decide to move that first moon landing mission off of Artemis 3 and onto Artemis 4? And just for Jessica, what is Starship's current milestone schedule, including the propellant transfer test, the landing, before it makes that moon landing? Thanks. I'll let Jessica go first since that flows from the last question, then I'll get to yours, Joey. Thanks. 
Yep. So we are tracking for propellant transfer capability again, these initial flight tests in 2024, and then continue the learning into 2025. One of the other missions we have leading up to Artemis 3 that we believe is super important, again, a pure flight test is an uncrewed landing to the moon. So again, using Starship to do an uncrewed landing on the moon and then ascending off the surface. Super important to again test that before we put people on board. And yeah, so everyone's safety of parent. So we want to ensure we do as many flight tests as we possibly can just on the Starship vehicle in general, but also do the uncrewed landing to the moon with Starship before Artemis 3. And to your first question, Joey, I think it's what I tried to say earlier. What are we going to learn on two that might make us change three? What are we going to do from a hardware availability? If hardware is not going to be there in a reasonable time, then maybe we need to make a change. And then what else could possibly be out there? The, some of the issues that Ahmed put out there, like the circuit issues, we didn't anticipate. So we'll learn from the production of other vehicles as well. 2024 is a whole bunch of development for us. Some of the spacesuit development that we have to go through. The SpaceX flights for the human lander that we have to go through, the continued build of the two vehicles. So we're constantly looking at what is going to be, what is going to be there and what's going to be ready. And what do we need to do to make sure that ultimately we minimize the risk? There's always going to be risk. It's flight test. It's landing on the surface of the moon. But what do we do to minimize that from hardware availability, hardware understanding and hardware readiness? Great. Great. I'm going to move on to Kenneth Chang from the New York Times. I just want to follow to the space tech question. When would the opportunity test be done? Yeah, I think looking at for Jessica for that one. Hi, yeah, we are targeting that in 2025. We'll have flight tests leading up to that. We'll be working in close coordination with NASA, but we are targeting that mission in. Great, thank you. Gonna move on to Kristen Fisher from CNN. Hi, thanks for taking my question. This question is also for Jessica Jensen with SpaceX. Jessica, I'm just curious if you could give us an update on the timing for the third test flight, and if you can confirm if it would or would not include that refueling demonstration on that next test flight. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, we are working towards Starship flight test number three right now. We have static fire the beach dirt already. We this will not be the mission that does the onward ship to ship propellant transfer. So this is just the next series and iteration increasing performance and getting to orbit. But there will be, we are working towards a tipping point demonstration. That might be what you're talking about, where the goal is to transfer propellant from the header tank into the main tank. So it's a smaller subset of learning about cryogenic propellant transfer in orbit. From a hardware readiness perspective, we are targeting to be ready in January. And then from an SAA licensing perspective, we're getting the license for flight three. Part of that is closing out the corrective actions from flight two. We're on track for that. We'll work closely. So we're expecting that license to come in February. So it's looking like flight three will occur in February of this year. Great. Thank you. We're going to move on to Alicia Sowers from Mastable. 
Hi, thanks for taking my question today. This is for Amit. Just so our readers can understand, its astronauts were inside Orion during Artemis 1's descent. What could have literally happened to them, given that the heat shields, the material wasn't ablating like engineers expected it to? I'm just wondering, could you be as straightforward as possible and just connect those dots about what exactly those potential outcomes could be? Yeah, the great question. If we had crew on Artemis 1, a lunar velo- the lunar return velocities would have been essentially maximal for the missions we have planned. They would have not sensed any, any disturbance inside the vehicle. They would not have, uh, there would not have been any excessive heating on the structure, and the guidance would have put them exactly where the Navy needed to recover them. So there would, been, there would not have been any impact or so to the crew's safety if we had that exact same design on Artemis 1. Thank you. Uh, now we'll take a question from Eric Berger from Art Technica. Yeah, hi. Thanks very much for doing this. I get this is probably a question for Jim, but maybe also the senator. Can you talk a little bit about the confidence that we should have in the 2026 launch date for Artemis 3? This date has moved 2028 to 2024 to 2025, not to 2026. And it just, it, you talk to people in the industry and they don't feel like that's really realistic given all of the work that, that Ahmed described, that you described, Jim, that we've got to we've got ahead of us. And so that's really an aspirational date, like where there's a low chance, or do you think there's a 50% chance of us seeing this date? It just walk you through your confidence in that date because it does not seem to be consistent with what I'm hearing in industry. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks for making the time to be on this. It's interesting because we have 11 people in industry on here that have signed contracts to meet those dates. So from my perspective, the people in industry here, we support it. We've signed contracts to those dates on the government side based on the technical details that they've given us that our technical teams have come forward with. It is, of course, not without risk. We're moving to for crew safety. We're setting a date for three that we have set with our contractors based on the technical plans that they've laid out. All those technical plans have risks to them. They have risk, risk mitigation associated with them off-ramping points based on what we learn as we're going through some of those tests. You heard Jessica's great description of what their plans are to get through things to support three. We also have the spacesuit development that we're on the back end of the preliminary design review for Artemis three. So the, what we found out in, in that review process and their supply chain setup is some of what has also influenced the date. So from a con- what do we have for confidence? I don't think I can put a number on it. What I can tell you is we put margin in there to account for some of the risks that we plan to, that we anticipate seeing. We've tried to address the unknown unknowns and set a realistic plan in place. One of the discussions with the crew is they want to see a real realistic plan because they feel like that gives them the best path to people working to a realistic schedule and, and what we've tried to put in place. So confidence wise. I can tell you, we've looked at all the steps, what it takes to get there to September of 26, what it takes to get there from launching in September of 25, to launching again in September of 26. An example being what happened to the mobile launcher. We understand that better. After one, we've made engineering changes for it to expand the launch more. So we anticipate driving down some of that. So I think like I want you to walk away with the, the confidence is 
we understand the vehicle better. We understand how it comes together better. And then we, we have the industry people on the phone to say that's what they've signed up to contractually. And that's what we're going to hold them accountable to. All right. Thank you. We're going to take our next question from Jeff Faust from Space News. Hey, good afternoon. A question for Amit. Of the various factors that you mentioned that led to the change in the Artemis II launch date, which one is on the critical path? That is, if you have continued problems with it, it would further delay the mission. Thanks. Good question, Jeff. At this point, we drove that September date based on the time we think it's going to take to do the removal replacement of the life support system electronics and the penalty testing required to, to do the integration on the way back out. We're hopeful that the other findings on the, that are as a result of a board load on the battery, as well as the conclusion of all of the, of all the, the tests required for the heat shield of envelope by that work. All right. We're going to move on to Irene Clot from Aviation Week. Irene, are you on? I am. Can you hear me now? Thanks very much. Irene Klopp with Aviation Week. One quick follow on Dina's question is, could you provide some metric of how much jar material was liberated, understanding that most of it occurred after that first pull-up, like what percentage came off versus what maybe you expected to see? And uh, with Senator Nelson, you've been very clear about your concerns about China and China's development and technological initiatives in space. And with these delays in the Artemis program, I'm wondering, first of all, if you have any concerns that China would land astronauts on the moon before the U.S. program could return astronauts on the moon, and if that would be significant at all. Thank you. Irene, I do not have a concern. China's going to land before. I think China has a very aggressive plan. I think they would like to land before us because that might give them some PRE. But the fact is, I don't think they will. I think it is true that their date that they announced keeps getting earlier, but specifically with us landing in September of 26, that will be the first one. Okay. And yeah, to address the first question, tough because it's across, it was across the geometry of the acreage of the heat shield. It was a very small localized area. In fact, interestingly, it would be much easier for us to analyze if we had large, larger chunks of it and where it was more yeah. defined. That's what makes it such an interesting yeah. material and physics problem to reproduce. But we do have, we have Lockheed Martin on the call. So I'd like to see if Tanya Ladwig maybe has any, anything she'd like to add. I think the only thing I'd add, Amit, was we don't know, like you said, exactly the cause of liberation. We're having a great results in the testing. And that's why we're doing the extensive ground testing to analyze the data. But there was a healthy margin remaining of that virgin avcoat. So it wasn't like there were large chunks. There was, a, like I said, a healthy margin remaining of that virgin avcoat. And as you said earlier, the temperature data inside the cabin remained at the expected level. So if crew were on board, they wouldn't have been in danger. Hopefully that paints a picture of that it wasn't a very large amount at all. Yeah, I think, Tony, the only thing I'd clarify is that the 
We did have margin in the material, but what we're really worried about and why we're spending so much time analyzing this is that changes, the flow around the spacecraft changes as well. So we really want to make sure that we understand for future missions under future conditions that margin holds up. But yeah, that, that's a correct. Big, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we just want to make sure that we understand why our modeling didn't predict it and so that we have accurate modeling for the missions going forward. And Irene, my answer to your question, remember what I said at the outset, we don't fly until it's ready. Safety is paramount. Whether we fly in September of 26 and land, regardless of what's in China, we don't fly until it's ready. Great. And I think we have time for one final question. So we will go with Isam Ahmed from AFP. Yes. Thank you for taking my question. I guess one of them is, Jessica, how many total orbital tests do you think Starship needs to do for, prior to the lunar uncreed landing for you to be comfortable to, to move to the lunar effect? And one question for Ahmed, which was in, in terms of the second problem, the electrical problem, I, I didn't why I follow? Are you, is the suggestion that the battery would might not have had power to correctly execute the the ejection procedure, the abortion, the abort procedure? Thank you. Yeah, give you the question. I'll hand over to for the first part. But for the on the battery itself, what we saw in the qualification test was we subjected that battery to a full separation shock that we would expect for that for the spacecraft coming off of the launch vehicle and the worst possible loss of control. And in that case, we saw a loss of, in some cases, connector conductivity. So the concern would be not that the vehicle would be able to abort safely off of SLS, but that we would be able to maintain all of the power margin that we need for the vehicle to, from that separation all the way through landing. So we're working through all that, but it is a, it's not about safe abort capability. It's about say, the, say, the full functionality of the spacecraft during that abort. And then, Jess, if you copied the first part of the question, you can take that one. Yeah, for leading up to the unfurred mission, the main thing we really need is the prop transfer capability, and there's no minimum number of flight tests. We're going to execute as many as possible. It just helps us iterate along the way. The prop transfer flight has really been made one. Really, what's been happening over the past few years as we've been building the machine to build the machine. So we've basically been building all of the infrastructure and factories to ensure that Starship right out the gate has a high production rate, is capable of reuse, and has a lot, they have a high launch rate. And basically all of that is going to help us in the prop transfer flights, the uncrewed demo, and then finally the crude landing. So it's just really taken us a long time from you call it like an infrastructure and getting set up perspective to get the date's first flight test. Now that we're in flight testing, there's no bare minimum of flights. It's just as many as we can get to help us iterate a little bit faster, but really it's prop transfer capability than the end. All right. I want to thank everyone for your questions. And I know that we had some that weren't able to be answered due to time. So we're happy to follow up with you after the teleconference. But thank you everyone for joining us today. You can listen to a replay of this teleconference online by visiting the All right. Thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate you stopping by and hanging out, being part of this. How interesting is it that 
SpaceX actually divulged some information about the third flight. They don't ever do that. They never talk about that stuff. Elon might post something on X or on Twitter or whatever you want to call it about possible timelines, but it was pretty interesting that they talked about the SpaceX representative talked about the timeline for the actual third flight of the Starship, which according to them, the hardware will be ready by the end of January. And then the FAA license will happen more than likely in February. So my predictions of first like first half of February, middle of February may actually come true. So I listen, I don't work at SpaceX, but I know some guys. Okay. <laughs> I know some guys and the depot is refilled and refueled. It's liquid oxygen and methane by starship tanker. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. Let's go, Joe. The propellant transfer is going to be a very interesting, very interesting mechanism because they have to have a tanker in orbit. And they have to dock with a tanker with a starship and then transfer fuel from the tanker to the starship. But they also have to launch those tankers on a booster. So it, it's so many parts in order for them to get to the moon. But it's going to be it's going to be incredible. I can't wait for them. They're basically going to do a slosh test in the next the next flight in the flight three of the starship. Basically a little transfer, like a little slosh transfer from tank to tank. So we have some information about that, which is really great. There was a little bit more information that was shared about the thermal protection system of Orion and how it ablated a little bit, a little bit of char on the heat shield that they weren't expecting. And like some pieces of the char were, they fell off the Orion. But later on in the broadcast, they were saying the NASA representative was saying that char didn't affect if there were people inside the Orion. So it didn't, there was nothing like really bad happened. So fortunately, it looks like they're, they're going to push this back a little bit, but that's okay too. It's okay. So NASA is going to push it back a little bit. What is it now? 2025 for Artemis 2, 2026 for Artemis 3, and Artemis 4, which is the gateway, is still on track for 2028. So 2025, 2026, and then 2028. So I have time to set up for my mission to the south here. Get ready for my NASA mission. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I cannot wait to get down there. And yeah, to, to just get it going. If you want to help me get down to the south, I put a GoFundMe in the chat. Virgilou says, you believe those dates? I believe that those are better dates. It's NASA. So it's going to be 2025. It's a year from now. Could they fix things before then? Yes, they could. But the lunar landing, Artemis 3, if they see, that was the other thing. Could they do a lunar landing 3 or 4? It'll be interesting, to say the least. I don't know if the people landing on the lunar surface is going to happen when they want to, when they want it to. I don't think that part's going to happen, but I think Artemis 2 is going to be fine. And I think Artemis 3, I think Artemis 3 might be a demonstration mission. I think my Artemis 3 might end up becoming, they might change it to a demonstration mission. Because you can't just go in cold. I don't know. Just be, because you have to be, like they kept saying during the process there, during the NASA press conference, you have to make sure that the people are safe. 
And that's the important part, right? So if you do a whole Artemis three mission where the Orion capsule docks and they transfer people to the HLS and then that lands, if you do that, but without people, if you just do it automated without the people and test out those systems. And of course you're going to spend millions of dollars doing that. But if those hundreds of millions of dollars save the people that are going to go to the moon and also set them up for future moon missions. It's worth it, in my opinion. You spend money on some stuff, right? Like, we spend money on stupid things all the time. Like, the government spends money on stupid things all the time. They waste so much money. But this wouldn't be a waste, in my opinion, because it's getting people to the moon. If you're against getting people to the moon, then I got nothing for you at this point. Let's see. Michael Maxey, hey, what's up, Mike? Actually, LH2 harder to keep in liquid from the LN LNG with transitions from vapor to gas and back. The cryotaps almost as easy as water goes from gas to liquid to solid. It seems like this is going to be a difficult thing for SpaceX to achieve, but hopefully they can get it figured out. This is a very small test that they're doing for the third flight of the, of the Starship. So hopefully they can do a small test and get some of the dynamics figured out to begin with. Virgilou says, I think 2050 sounds more plausible. 25 more years? I don't know if I'll be around in 25 years, man. I can't wait. I can't wait. I, want, I need them to go like as soon as possible. And T. Brookie says, they'll never launch humans back to the moon with this current NASA administration. They will all, there will always be risks. So there's been other NASA administrations as well before this that have been working on this problem that aren't these people that are in this administration. There's, there have been other NASA presidents, other people that work at NASA, administrators, et cetera. And they've been working on this for a very long time. It's not just the Artemis program. It was the program before Artemis, under the Bush years, that these people were working on this stuff. So they changed it around and it, now it's, now they're pushing hard, which is great. And they're getting some progress done, but, and they have the SLS rocket, which is, you know, more than they had before the constellation program before wasn't, it was a cool plan, but it didn't really seem feasible. This is feasible. We got a rocket already. We got an SLS. So like, at least we have that. So they've made some pretty good progress with that. So we have an SLS, we have Orion. So we have two components, at least two of the major components in a really good spot. The weight on HLS. They're waiting on the Starship. They're also waiting on Boeing because the Boeing, the batteries in Boeing, the Orion capsule and the heat shield, things like that. They, like they said, they spent the whole last, all of 2023, basically looking at the heat shield and trying to figure out a better way to do it. And that's, what's great about NASA and these companies that they work with is that they can take a little bit of time. They have funding. They have, we pay taxes, right? I pay taxes for NASA. I'm happy to pay my taxes for NASA. I'd rather pay my taxes for NASA than anything else. So I'm okay with that. I would prefer that they get it done faster, but I would want them to do it right. Do you want it faster? Do you want it right? Like those are usually the questions that engineers ask. I'm an engineer too. Like I, I'm a code engineer. Do you want it fast? Want like garbage code? Or do you want it to, you don't want me to take some time on it and like really structure this thing out? And there's a difference. There's a big difference between that and some of my stuff, some of my stuff takes months to build. Some of my stuff takes a couple days to build. 
So same thing with Artemis program. Some of these systems take, you know, it's going to take them years to get the perfect, but do you want it faster? Do you want it good? Do you want it? Yeah. It's an interesting take on things, right? So it's a tough one. It's a, I would love them to get it done as soon as possible because I'm selfish. And if you think, if you think that they're not working as hard as they can in the administration at NASA isn't working as hard as they can and pushing people through and things. They have systems in place now that they didn't have in place before. During the Apollo program, a little bit reckless. They did the best that they could with what they had. They're going to get a bunch of money to build a rocket to send people to the moon. And you have a certain amount of time to do it. You do whatever dangerous things you can and everybody involved knows that you know, it, there's a huge amount of danger. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Apollo one, like there was a fire in the in the crew capsule. Yeah, it's it was pure oxygen. They didn't know. So, do you want them to do that again? I hope not. That's a very selfish and unhinged thing to say. Yeah, just go fast. Make it done. Make it work. That's the kind of manager I never want. If you have an if you have a manager, this just make it work, dude. Shut up. Shut up, manager. Especially if they don't know what they're talking about. You don't want that guy. You never want that guy. You just want somebody who's okay. An even keeled somebody who's not going to put people's lives on the line. You want people to make sure that everything works properly. Of course, there's, there's a need for urgency. And sometimes is spaceflight that it, do we need urgency at this point? Is there an urgent need to send people to the moon? Like, why would we rush this? So that's the other question too. Why would you rush this? I need an answer. If I'm a manager or if I'm an, if I'm an engineer, sorry, and my manager comes up to me and goes, we need this now. And I push back all the time. Why do we need this now? If they don't have an answer, I'll say, we're not going to do it then. There's no reason for me to rush this. It's just because you're being impatient and you're unhinged. You're <laughs> like, you have issues, brother. It's not me, man. Like, why do we rush this? Is it because to make money? That's a good answer. Like, just tell me that as opposed to whatever. But if you rush it in, instead of making it safe, that doesn't make any sense. Until Starship hits orbit, Artemis has some spare time. Yeah, that's the, that's true with Fractured Gamer. You're 100% right. Metal Rule says Apollo worked. SLS is a hangar queen. Engineers are the problem. Ooh. I wouldn't say so. There's so many, there's so many pieces. You can't just point out that engineers are the problem because we also have funding from the government and they dictate what goes on. So people are, you know, people want to, of course, it's easy to point fingers at somebody or a certain group and blame people, but there's, this is a big system. Like millions of people work at NASA and the surrounding companies. So like pointing at the engineers themselves, I don't think that's fair to them. I don't think that's fair to them. There's other people of, like I was saying before, like there's other people involved. There's politicians. If you want to talk about people that don't get it, sit a politician down, put him in a rocket, send him up to, send him up to the moon. They might understand then. But they don't understand what it, anything about this other than I, there are some, of course, and I'm talking about the majority 
they don't because it's not their job to understand this. Their job is to get funding for programs and to help people. And that's why they hire the engineers and the people that are talking between NASA and the politicians, advocates, if you will, to to make sure that everything goes well. So there's all the pieces. You got to think of all the pieces. Yeah. Debs. What did you say, Debs? Over 100 likes. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for over 100 likes. That's great. So Kelly Kayak Adventures. Five years, 10, maybe 20. Yeah. That's the NASA model, right? Five years. Eh, maybe. It's kind of like Elon time. Elon says it's going to be done in January or whatever the, the 420 ships. So, yeah, we'll launch it in September. So I moved. I literally moved to Brownsville so I could be near Starship to see the first launch. Thing didn't launch for a year. It was like it didn't even, over a year after that. It was like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it was like Elon time. And so you have to think about the consequences of your actions, too. If it's just build this thing and go, that is a that's a dangerous mindset to have. Super, especially when you're talking about not only is it the people involved in the rocket. NASA will lose funding. NASA will lose funding. Public perception of NASA will just tank if something happens to these astronauts during a flight, especially the inaugural crude flight of Artemis. That's a tough one. You got to make it perfect because not only does NASA have to worry about the people involved, but they also have to worry about the money that gets sent to them, which of course it's a, as much as we don't like to say this, like NASA is a business. Every piece of the government is a business. The business is a government or the government is a business. Like you got, they got to make money. So they get taxes from the people. We live on the land. So we're like, Hey, we're going to tax you for living here. It's okay, cool. So we put our money into there and then they like that money goes around and some of that money goes to NASA. It's a business. They got to make sure that their funding doesn't dry up, which is unfortunate because if we just gave them a bunch of money and said, Hey, just do the coolest thing you can do. NASA, we would have been on living on Neptune by now or something. It would have been crazy. It's been, yeah, but there's all the other parts to it. Yeah. The current moon program has been shifted from the moon to asteroids and back to the moon. Boeing has been a fatal flaw as it has a broken culture. I love space and adventure. T. Bricky, I think you do have some good points. Boeing has been a fatal flaw. I do think that Boeing has an old school culture. And I do think there are pieces of that culture that would hold back progress. So that's as nice as I can say it. I would say some, if I were the angry astronaut, I would talk about Boeing all day long, go crazy on them. But yeah, the, the culture is very relaxed as far as innovation goes in the space flight sector, but the Orion capsule is a Boeing thing. So... There's always good and good and bad for with everything. Not everything can be like SpaceX, but even SpaceX, they're not the best. They're the best at what they do, but they've had they have flaws too. They have as much as as a fan of Elon Musk as I am. The guy is like the public perception of his companies, which nobody really cares about. If, like us, we don't care about it. But to stakeholders in the companies like Tesla and whatever. 
like Elon going on rants for a while unhinged. <laughs> like that doesn't help it. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to say this, but oh, sorry. I meant Lockheed, not Boeing for the, for the capsule, by the way. But yeah. So Boeing makes parts for SLS programs. And so there are things that Boeing does that are great. So I'm sorry for that. But the, yeah, it's a Lockheed, it's a Lockheed capsule. So what I was saying about SpaceX is they had their failures in the beginning. They do a great job now. There were parts where there were times when like things didn't go so great. And I just Boeing, how old is Boeing, by the way? Boeing is old. Let's see. Boeing. Let's see, let's get, say Boeing and see when it was started. Let's look at their Wikipedia for a second here. When was it started? It's an old company. 1916. Boeing was started in 1916 and I knew it, I know it was old, but I didn't, rem I thought it was a little bit, not 1916. It was, it's 107 years old. So anything that's 107 years old, there's going to be dips. There's going to be spikes. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be valleys throughout the time. Oh man. It, so there's going to be times when Boeing is just the worst, of course. But also, sometimes Boeing's going to do some really cool stuff. According to the stock, let me see. The, let's see how much time, according to the stock. It, let's see. From 1916. I don't know when this is a thing. Let me just go see. I'm just going to go by the stock real quick. Just looking at it real quick. Just, let's see. January, December 2018. December till now. So the stock looks like it's like Boeing was pretty good. Yeah, pretty good in 20. Like back in the beginning, like 2018. Yeah, looks good. But not so good now. <laughs> Sorry, Boeing. I love you guys. I hope you do great work. I know you do great work, but sometimes, like I was saying before, there's dips and there's, there's valleys, there's mountains. Sometimes some of the giants fall. People have said the same thing about Microsoft, which is a weird thing to say. I'd like to bring up Microsoft in a conversation about space, but it's also a, a private company. Same thing with any other company that's a hundred plus years old. Anything that's over a hundred years old, like Ford Motor Company, things like that. It's or Chevy or whatever, like car companies, like legacy car companies, they're going to be weird. They're going to be weird sometimes, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just seems, it seems like putting all the, all the blame on Boeing at any point. It seems almost like an empty argument. You can say, yeah, they didn't do anything right. Or they did some weird stuff, but I don't think they're holding. I don't think that company's holding them back. Lockheed's doing a great job. SpaceX is doing a great job right now, but if we find out, so would you change your tune? And this is like a, a fun question to ask in chat because I feel the same way as you guys, right? So I'm like, Boeing's a valuable company. It's a great company. It makes lots of great things. They make planes that send people all over the earth all the time. So the, it, what if, so this is a big what if, and I want to know what chat thinks. 
what if SpaceX messes up so bad with the HLS? What if they mess up so bad that they postpone the human landing on the moon for two more years and they weren't waiting for batteries for the Orion capsule? They weren't, everything else is ready. Ground systems, the SLS, the Orion, everything else is ready. But what if SpaceX makes them postpone it for a few years because the Starship isn't ready? And then can we change our tune? So you have to think about it and dig deep within, my friends. Dig deep within. Because I'm one of you. I love SpaceX. I'm a SpaceX lover. I think it's amazing. I moved my whole life from the Northeast where I have all my family, all my friends, all the things I love to do. I moved down to Brownsville because I love that rocket so much. But is if they're if they find something that's so wrong with Starship that they can't use it for HLS and they have to postpone and stop production stop flights and they have to rewind, fix it up for a couple of years. Everything else is ready for the HLS missions, except for the HLS part. Then what happens? So slow incremental progress or just like how SpaceX does it, iterative design that they launch as many things as they can. And then whatever goes wrong, they figure out what went wrong and then continue to build on that and work on that. And I think that's where the difference is between legacy companies like Lockheed and Boeing and things like that, where they do similar things, right? Like they, they do iterative design in those companies, not in the public though. So that's, I think that's where the difference is because they do have a different system, but they do iterative design. It's just not as fa not as fast and furious as SpaceX. SpaceX goes wild. They go hard in the paint, man. Delays on SpaceX will enhance competition. Gregory Allen says, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Anything, any time that SpaceX fumbles, I think other people will be like, huh, interesting. Like ULA, they're Vulcan rockets. Cool. That's good. It's not, it's going to be a workhorse. It's going to get missions done. It's going to get the job done. It's not a Starship. It's not a Falcon 9. It's not reusable. But the people that hire Vulcan and they hire ULA don't care. You know, they might be legacy people that are getting these contracts, but at some point they just go, hey, this is a pretty good price. And we trust ULA. They make great rockets. That's why people hire SpaceX too. Good price. Like anything. Like I buy a car. Like I buy a Subaru because I know it's going to be reliable. And it's going to be a good car. That's it. Good price, like a pretty decent price. Good engine. I know it's going to last for a while. And then you might buy like something a little bit less expensive because you don't have as much money. You might get a ride share. You might not even get a car. But does it matter that it lands? Like some people don't care. Do I care? Yeah, I would rather every rocket land. I want every rocket. I want every rocket to land like a Falcon 9 every time. I want a starship to land. I think that's going to be sick. Like when they catch a starship, oh, that's going to be so cool. I'm going to freak out. Just wait. <laughs> You'll see me do a chat. It's going to be sick. I'm going to cry. I'm probably going to cry. Debs knows this. I'll probably cry about this stuff. Gnarly says, I like the way SpaceX goes. I do too. I think it's great. 
But Tesla cars are not the cheapest though, but they work really great. Apparently, like most people that buy Teslas are very satisfied with their vehicles. There are some outliers that are like, the paint wasn't perfect or whatever. There are some people that are nitpicky about things, but, and it, there are some builds that are just not great. But if you make hundreds of thousands of cars, like, of course, every once in a while, you get a bad batch. Fractured Gamer says, I'm stoked for Stoke Space. Yeah, same here. I think Stoke Space is a cool company. You blub like a baby. Debs, I'm going to. Yeah, I do. Crew 2, I was friggin' crying, man. I'm, I love this stuff so much. I'm so passionate about space flight. And I, sometimes I go on rants, chat, like you've been here with me the whole time. Like when I started getting funding for my GoFundMe to move to Texas to see Starship, I was like, I would go to bed at night and just be like, this is so cool. And just like a little tear, one little tear would fall down my face. <laughs> oh, let's go Joe catching. Yeah. Catching a Starship. Sorry. My bad. Marina, what's up? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, interesting in the next few years to see what happens. Because if Starship is successful, I can't say when because nobody knows. But if Starship is successful, it's going to change everything. It's going to be the most insane amount of cargo going to space. For a good price, too. The economics of it are going to just destroy everybody else. Elon is maniacal. <laughs> and like the whole team there. It's not just Elon, though. It's the whole team. They're super competitive people. They want to be the best. And that if you apply to SpaceX, I know people that work there. I used to live right next to four or five people that worked at SpaceX. And they know how competitive it is. And the, like, it's hard work. Um, I was neighbors. I was friends with them. I still keep in touch with them and the, their interview process, super competitive. It, you're, if you're not like the best of the best, they're not going to hire you. Just forget about it. Forget about it. They're not going to, they're not going to talk to you. It's going to be like, oh, you're just some rando with some cool projects and whatever. You're cool. But uh, all the people that I was friends with in, in Starbase, they were just it ridiculously intelligent people. So crazy. So crazy. And they're all competitive. They're all very, they would talk about Starship like it's going to change humanity. Like they have, it's almost like a Steve Jobs type of like an Apple sort of sense. Like we're taking on, we're taking on the world and them as engineers and as people involved with that company. They wanted to, like, they wanted to destroy everybody in like a good way, in a competitive way. It's like when you play soccer or something, like when you play a game against somebody else and you're like, I'm going to beat you at this game. And it's because I have this drive in me. It has nothing to do with you. It's just because this drive in me, I'm going to do the best thing for humanity. And that's why everybody at SpaceX thinks. So those people are who make things happen down there. It's incredible. It was, I just fortunate to have them as friends and to know that they exist and that they took me in as like one of their homies. Like I had barbecues with them and stuff. It was pretty fun. Yeah. So yeah, I had some good times anyway. I can't talk about most of it, but <laughs> not like that though. Not like that. Most of it's, they wouldn't spill the tea or anything. They would just say, say some things, but that was back in the day too. Like the 420 
ship four or ship 20 booster four days. So all of that stuff is passed by now. So they would talk about it a little bit and just passing like with each other. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Interesting. As a reporter, as a space flight reporter, they just let me around. I was like, dude, what are you guys doing? But I wouldn't report on it because it was just, that's not the right thing to do, but I would hint at it every once in a while. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy though. Um, Let's go. Joe says the catching might not work. Elon said it would be a farewell to arms if that's the game. Yeah. What a nice meme. Farewell to arms. I find busy as V and hanging out here. Nice, Marina. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm happy you're here. I'm, I love to do these live shows, by the way. Usually we do them at three o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we have some sort of, some sort of space flight topic to talk about. But today was a little bit early. Started at 1.15 p.m. and we're still going strong at 3.05 p.m. So I think I'm going to have to call it for today. If you haven't subscribed to the show and you've listened to this and you actually enjoy conversation and not just being talked to about things, hit the subscribe button. This channel is different than other spaceflight channels out there. You're not just the chat. You're part of this community. Become part of the flight club. Hit the subscribe button. It takes a second. If you really want to support us, have a GoFundMe at the top of the chat. And also, if you want to support us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe button. And if you like conversations like this, if you want to be involved, become a member because that really does help out the show tremendously. If you become a member, it's like a little bit of money, like five bucks or whatever every month. It's one coffee to help continue this show growing. Going to continue growing. Almost at 100,000 subscribers now. Working on it. Been doing it for a while. Slow, steady. That's the best pace for me. And we're not going to shoot to the moon right away, but we will get 100,000 subscribers sooner than later. And we'll have that cool button, the cool play button, the silver one. Very cool. It'll be fun. Buy a t-shirt. Yeah, Debs, you're right. That helps too. Text Elon Gwynn, help an employee meeting to unveil the new Dragon 2. Wait, what? Oh, they held an employee meeting to unveil the new Dragon 2. Yeah, buy a t-shirt or a cap. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't watched it quite yet. I've been busy. I'm moving. So like I'm moving everything that I have down to the south so I can be closer to NASA and also follow my heart. That's a whole other thing. I talked about it yesterday on stream. So watch the end of yesterday's stream if you want to know about that, because that's a fun, fun topic that I just went goofy about. Be part of this cool crew of other spaceflight enthusiasts. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. I really do appreciate your support. If you could take a second and hit the subscribe or the follow button on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on right now, I'd greatly appreciate it. It helps out the show tremendously and you'll never miss an episode. And each episode is about 10 minutes or less to get you caught up quickly. And please, if you want to support the show even more, go to patreon.com slash stage zero. And please take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll see you tomorrow.